You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into episode six of the Off Day Debrief. I'm Rob Stascarera from Niners Nation, and with me as always, Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, Brandon? Rob, happy to be here with you, as always, on the Oddcast, the most important show on the SP Nation NFL show feed. Of course, subscribe, rate, review, download, all those good things uh, with all of them, but especially listen to this one. Maybe listen to it twice even. It's that good. (laughs) Most important and most beloved show, clearly on the SB Nation NFL show of all the episodes. I would say we're like the Seattle Seahawks of uh, the SB Nation NFL show feed because we're just the best. I don't know why you have to insult us like that. You mean that (laughs) one half of us is really, really good and the other one is horrid? Because that's accurate. So if you want to go with that. Damn. We'll never know which one is which. But, uh, you know, well, the important thing is, too, we're never out of a game, right? Or we're never never out of a podcast. No matter how bad of a start we might get off to, and how weird it might get, and it might get weird because it's the podcast, uh, we're going to end up winning in the end. So that's what's important. Well, speaking of weird, this is the first time I think in podcast history that we're recording a show and all the games from the week haven't even finished yet. Like there's a game tonight. It's Bills Titans tonight. It's still part of Week Five, which is so weird because as we're going to get to, we're going to get to your power rankings. Like your power rankings can't be finished yet because the week isn't over. They can't be finished, although it's kind of a little bit convenient how it worked out. I have these two teams, the Bills and the Titans, at, at six and seven, right, just right there. And I'm going to flip them if uh, the Titans end up winning that game. So thankfully, for my sake, won't to have too much of a dramatic impact. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Now, Rob, of course, every time uh, the topic of a Tuesday night football game gets brought up, I get massively triggered because the last time uh, there was a game on Tuesday night, as everyone likes to point out, and as I have to relive, is when the Philadelphia Eagles hosted the Minnesota Vikings at the link in Philly in 2010. It was Joe Webb starting at quarterback. Joe Webb, you know, a wide receiver, basically, for most of his NFL career. Special teams guy starting at quarterback. Uh, he beat that uh, Eagles team that was being led by Michael Vick that year. It felt like the Eagles were destined to go on a run. They were, they were just electric with Vick. Uh, under center there they just won that game against the Giants where they were down big the miracle at the Meadowlands it just felt like they were a team of destiny and then Joe Webb came to town and the Eagles lost to that awful uh, Vikings team that you know had Brett Favre sidelined due to injury so uh, it's a little traumatic here for me to see football played again on a Tuesday night if you had two minutes into the show as the first Eagles reference you win Thank you for that detailed breakdown of a game that took place a decade ago. What else did you expect from me? You know, <laughs> I, I always have to bring the Eagles angle into it. Well, let's before we get any into any talk about the Eagles or the power rankings, 
Let's talk about Monday Night Football because it was Chargers. It was Saints. Really entertaining game. The Saints ultimately get the win 30-27 to in overtime. Uh, there's a lot to get into for this game. Let's just go for, uh, look at it from the Saints' point of view first. No Michael Thomas in this game because he's essentially suspended for punching a teammate in the face, which is incredible. And I had been really down on the Saints' offense without Michael Thomas. I was you know, not impressed with Drew Brees at all. He wasn't throwing the ball deep down the field. I, I just didn't like what I saw from them. But last night, they looked a lot different. I was very impressed with the Saints' offense. See, I'll go the other way around. I, I still don't think I'm very encouraged by Drew Brees. I think it's a common theme, maybe even from this week alone in the NFL, that you have these older quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, and we'll get to some of those later, and Drew Brees, and these guys are starting to show their age. Now, obviously, uh, he did enough to put the team back in position to win the game, but they should have lost that game. Uh, you know, the Chargers missed a field goal at the end. They, they, that's a game they, they should have won uh, more comfortably, you know, if the Saints were truly for real. Now, of course, they're, they're still in good position here. They're three and two. I had said earlier in the year when you kind of asked me, like, how much are you concerned about the Saints? Do you think they're still going to win the NFC South? Yeah, they're in that mix. But, I mean, I don't feel as great as this team still as I did heading into the season. Still don't think they're this really legit Super Bowl contender because I don't think Drew Brees is really going to get better as the season is going on goes on that's not not something we've seen usually kind of gets worse and his arm starts to fade even later in the year and and to me that it's just we're seeing that noodle arm again so here's my here's my thing I because I know that we're going to talk about the 49ers and I know you're going to hammer me because I said said that they were the second best team in the NFC which clearly I was wrong about I, I think that I screwed up. I have been grading these teams on style points in a pass-fail business. And I agree that the Saints have some warts, but I think all the teams have some warts, essentially. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop grading them on how good they look and just start grading them on whether or not they get the job done. Like, yeah, the Saints can't do everything on offense. Drew Brees is not going to be bombing it down the field like Mahomes. But what they do do well or what they do do, they do it well. So I have to give them credit for that. They got the win. They beat a Chargers team that is no pushover. I know they're early in their development, but the Chargers are a good team. And they can't do everything, but they have strengths and they maximize those. Yeah, I left this game feeling better about the Chargers, though, honestly, just because of the potential and the promise we're seeing from Justin Herbert. I mean, that throw he made, I mean, he had four touchdowns last night, uh, zero interceptions. And really, he just got screwed over by his kicker, you know, because the kicker misses the extra point early in the game. If he makes that, you know, it's not a tie game at the end. Um, you know, they don't need to kick for overtime. Um, and again, obviously, the field goal at the end of the game, uh, 50 yarder that Herbert gets them in great position to kick because he throws that great pass to Mike Williams down the sideline. And Mike Williams is Moss's uh, Marshawn Lattimore over here. Uh, I love that, by the way. There's nothing better to me as someone. Here's another Eagles reference for you stats. Put, put the counter on. We should have we should have a counter for this. I, I just love Terrell Owens, like when he came to Philly, and I just love the idea that. This guy can be blanketed by like multiple players. Doesn't matter. Just throw the ball high, and and he can make a play on it. And I love to see that from a receiver. So that was awesome by Mike Williams to set up that field goal. And I feel like we all knew that kick was going to be missed when <laughs> Michael Badgley, or should I say Michael Badley, uh, said he calls yeah. himself the what was it? What was the nickname here? The uh, Money Badger? Uh, no. 
That that is not you cannot make up a nickname for yourself. First of all, sorry stats, and then also uh, oh, I didn't yeah. make up stats. I did I'm not make up stats. I'm kidding. I know. I know you didn't. I know the story. I know the story. Uh, you can't make up your nickname if you're a kicker either. Like that's doubly bad. It's it's really bad. And so that's like the Chargers should have won that game. Now they didn't, and they also didn't deserve to win it in a sense that they're too conservative. Like try, hey, how about maybe trust your rookie quarterback who's really good, Anthony Lynn. Like, they were so conservative with the game plan. Um, 18 rushes for 20 yards on first down. So they're shooting themselves in the foot when the, the run clearly isn't working, and they're making it harder on their rookie quarterback instead of making life easier for, like, hey, he's really good. How about maybe throw the ball on first down? What do we say on this show? Do the thing. Do the thing that works, right? What works is Justin Herbert. And it, like you were talking about with Mike Williams, it works well because – Herbert does not seem afraid to throw the ball down the field, and that matches up with Williams' strength, which is contested catches, going up and, and getting the ball. It's worked well for them. Uh, to me, this season is already a success for the Chargers because you know you found a guy. You have a quarterback that has arm talent, that has a willingness to be aggressive with the football. Like You found your guy. That's awesome. So however many games you win this year is great. But just from an overall kind of team-building perspective, I feel like the Chargers are in a great spot. You've got your quarterback. You've got a young wide receiver. Number three, you've got your pass rusher. You have Joey Bosa. You just locked him up. That is huge. The hardest parts to get on your team, you have already. Now, it's just filling in around him. And you can use free agency. You can use the draft. You can supplement what you already have. I think the Chargers are in a great spot. Honestly, the only thing I don't like about the Chargers is that they have to play the Chiefs twice a year. Yeah, that's tough. Um, And although they did hang, you know, they got him to overtime earlier in the year with Herbert making his first NFL start, like on on basically no notice. So uh, at least there's that. Yeah, I I guess it's kind of just like, do we trust Anthony Lynn here to be the right guy? You know, if if we're going to see this kind of conservative play calling and if the team is going to continue to be poor, uh, I think the talent there is good. I, I think um, their general manager is kind of underrated, Tom Tom Telesco here. I think he does a good job with that team. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you. It's kind of weird to say because, you know, they lost. They're one and four. They're, they're kind of out of it. But I just feel very encouraged by the Chargers. I have them 19th in my power rankings. I think I've had their, them there for a couple of weeks now. Because even though they've been losing, like I've been encouraged by the way they're actually playing these games. They're just not finishing, which is a very Chargers result. But, you know, <laughs> they actually have hope for the future now with some of these young guys. Yeah, I agree with your criticism of Anthony Lynn. He doesn't blow me away by any stretch. They, To me, he's like a totally average NFL coach. They could do worse than Anthony Lynn, but I think they could also do better. Um, if you look at the Chargers history, it is weird. They almost always have a franchise quarterback but they don't win Super Bowls. It's it's super weird. Like Dan Fouts, awesome quarterback, right? No Super Bowls. They had Drew Brees for a little while. They had Phillip Rivers for a little while. They went back to back with those guys. Like they never really have a horrible quarterback for an extended period of time, but they also don't win Super Bowls. I'm, it's like the only team that can say that. Maybe Herbert will be, finally be the guy, or maybe he'll just be the next one in line of this guy who's there for like years. It's crazy to think how long Rivers was there. I mean, he was there for for what, like fifteen years or or more, just a, a long time. And crazy to have that kind of you know uh, longevity when you're not winning the big one, given all the pressure there is to you know to have success. You know, and I I know everyone has said this, but I have to say it. Like, imagine watching Justin Herbert in practice and Tarad Taylor in practice and thinking. 
we're going to go with Tarod Taylor. Like he's a better, he gives us a better chance to win. In what universe is that possible, BLG? And then also just where the the team is timeline wise. Like, are they? What are they going to really do? Even if Taylor like might be slightly better in theory than than Herbert. Like, if that was your thinking heading into the like, what are you going? Where are you going with that? Like, you're not going <laughs> to win your division. You know that. Um, so why not play the young guy anyway? And especially if he's showing this much promise. Um, so yeah, I think they they have a good one in Justin Herbert. I think uh, Justin Herbert's interesting because I feel like every year we get these guys on uh, draft Twitter. Uh, calling out draft Twitter here that like they hate these quarterbacks. There's certain quarterbacks they hate, like a Josh Allen, even a Carson Wentz. Uh, and they just think like there's this opinion out there like that these guys are going to be terrible. Like there's no chance they're going to succeed. They're going to be overdrafted, going to be bust. And they come in and it's like, wow, they can actually play from the jump. So I think that's kind of funny um, how those kind of players come in every year and end up being a little bit better than some of the scouting community expects them to be. And I have to say, I was nervous about Herbert um, when I was producing Pro Football Talk, which is you go Eagles references, I go PFT references, apparently. But we talked to Herbert at the Combine, and he did not strike me as a very assertive guy, as a as a guy who could lead a huddle. He was very sort of quiet and didn't really seem like a leader. Um, we asked him who his favorite, like, who do you admire? Who is the quarterback you want to be like? Do you know who he said? No. Joey Harrington. What? Because he'd never left Oregon. Like, he said <sighs> Joey Harrington, and everybody on the set and everybody in the control room let out, like, an audible noise. Like, <gasps> that's your guy? Joey Harrington? So I was just like, I don't know about this guy. He doesn't – this guy doesn't seem like the man. But, I mean, on the field, he's throwing darts all over the place. He's that West Coast cool to him, I think, is what you might maybe that's that's maybe what I'm perceiving it as. Where he, he doesn't seem to be rattled, you know, he's pretty composed, and so maybe he's not like the most alpha guy, but but sometimes that's fine. Um, I, you know, another Eagles reference, uh, which is it's getting too old at this point. Like Nick Foles, I think one of the best things about Nick Foles, um, is that he just he doesn't get rattled. He's just so composed back there. And that's that's why I had so much confidence in him when the Eagles were making that Super Bowl run. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, he can't possibly, you know, win. Can't possibly go up against Tom Brady, who's like this alpha. It's like, well, he can because he's totally the moment isn't too big for him. And that's what we've seen from Herbert so far. Doesn't has not looked lost for a rookie. I think that's one of my biggest things. Like, I, I remember Mitch Trubisky making his NFL debut. Uh, I believe it was like a Monday night game or a Thursday night game. It was a primetime game. And he just looked lost. Like he was out there in the field and in between every play, he kept looking at the sideline, but not in a way that a, a regular quarterback does, but like in a like, what am I supposed to do now? Kind of look like he just did not look comfortable or know what he was doing. And then even Dwayne Haskins, like seeing that with him uh, in his rookie season last year, I remember that as well. And I, I just like, I was so out on those guys. because so they just, they did not look like they belong. And Herbert from the jump has passed the eye test. And I think that's very good for chargers fans and, and gives them a lot of hope for the future. Yeah, I feel like some guys, some rookies start slow and then get better, and that's fine. But the guys that come out of the gate like a house of fire like he has, they usually don't get too much worse as they go along. I feel like that's a pretty good sign. So congrats, Chargers fans, man. I think you got a good one. And like you said, I know you didn't win, but there's a lot there to like, and there's a lot there to build on going forward. Okay, we've covered Monday Night Football. I know you want to get to your power rankings because there's a lot of things you want to rub my face in. Mm. You've been holding back so far, but I could see behind the glasses there. There's a little twinkle in your eye. (laughs) You are ready to just make me eat some crow. So we're going to take a little break, 
And then when we come back, we'll do the power rankings. We'll get into our survivor picks and we'll do the oddities as well coming up right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back here on the Oddcast, as we like to call it, and... All right, BLG, I'm giving you free reign because it's power rankings time, week six edition. There's a lot you want to rub my nose in. I understand. I'm I'm a big man to admit when I was wrong. So let me just do the top 10 and then you can, you can have your fun. You've got Seahawks at number one, then the Packers at two, Chiefs three, Ravens four, Steelers five. Bills six, Titans seven, although they are playing tonight, so that's subject to change. I think that's fair. Rams eight, Saints nine, and Browns ten. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can read the whole list at bleedinggreennation.com, and you should because all the way down, I want to skip out of that top ten, all the way down to number 25, coming in an 11-spot drop from last week. I had him at 14 heading into week five. The second best team in the NFC, the team that it's unthinkable that they could possibly finish last in the NFC West this year. Stats, it's your San Francisco 49ers. Now, I didn't get to see that whole game. I need you to tell me what's going on with this team. I I saw you like tweeting during the game. You're ripping Kyle Shanahan. Jimmy G is getting benched. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick go off before. So I understand that happens. But I mean, geez, like this is this is pretty bad for a 49ers team. You know, that's like your reigning NFC champion. Uh, and I'm looking at the strength of schedule here for all the NFL teams. Uh, the 49ers have the NFL's toughest remaining schedule. So what is the deal with this team? It comes down to two things. Well, in this game, specifically two things. Number one, they decided to start Brian Allen at cornerback, a practice squad player who had never started an NFL game. And... The Dolphins are not idiots. So Ryan Fitzpatrick was like, hey, maybe we should throw it to this guy. And the 49ers left him one-on-one with Devontae Parker multiple times in the game for for four straight possessions. They didn't stop it. And Fitzpatrick literally just kept throwing to wherever whoever Brian Allen was covering. It was third and goal from the 22-yard line. And the 49ers gave up a touchdown because Brian Allen literally did not touch Devontae Parker, who ran just a straight go route to the end zone. For a touchdown. So that was what happened on defense for the 49ers. So they were down 21-7 in the blink of an eye. And on offense, the offensive line literally has forgotten how to block. They cannot do it. They gave up five sacks. Shanahan said three of them were just on blown assignments because people didn't know what the hell they were supposed to be doing. 
it is, I've never seen an offensive line unit go from one of the best in the league to one of the worst without injury. And that's exactly what's happened. It's a complete train wreck right now. I was totally wrong about the 49ers. I apologize. I bow to your superior wisdom because I was completely wrong. And there is a very, very real chance that they could be two and 11 going into week 14 against Washington because they play six straight playoff teams coming up here. Wow. But now what's that mean for quarterback? Because, you know, heading into the year, you know, we talked about our differing opinions on the Niners and, and why I was lower than on them uh, than, you know, maybe you were or whoever. And it was it came down to Jimmy G for me. I just I wasn't totally sold. And here he is getting benched. And now, obviously, I think there was some injury, um, you know, uh, factor in there. He's coming off that injury that caused him to miss a couple games. But like, where's where's his standing? Like, you know, the 49ers are finishing with a high pick. Do they take a quarterback? Like, what's the deal here? My philosophy on Jimmy G going into this season was this. He was better last year than people thought, but he needed to make a jump this year if he was going to justify his position because there's no guaranteed money left in his deal. And so if he's not going to be great, they can cut him because he makes a ton of money. And if you're you're paying your quarterback big money, then you have to he has to be great. And Jimmy did not make any sort of jump this year. He was horrible in week one against the Cardinals. He played one good half against the Jets, which doesn't say much. And he got hurt. And now he's tried to come back. He's clearly, he's not healthy. But if you're out there, you got to perform like there's no excuses. So my stance is look to get better this offseason. If you're going to have a high draft pick and there's a quarterback there, you've got to take it. And, or you've got to maybe look into Matt Ryan. He's got a history with Kyle Shanahan. Arthur Blank just did not commit to him long-term for the Falcons. They're clearly in rebuild mode. Like if you can upgrade a quarterback, you have to consider yourself in the market now, especially if you think that your Super Bowl window is still open. Life comes at you fast, as the kids say. It's crazy, you know, to think how we're talking about this right now after, you know, the Niners are having a lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl last year. Uh, but that's how the NFL goes. Things Happen fast. They change fast. Uh, you know, just want to give credit to the Dolphins. Uh, you know, just huge win for them. Just, you know, that team, uh, for as much as they might lack some talent, I mean, they just seem to, you know, Brian Flores just seems to do a good job with that team. Um, has them playing harder, kind of has them overachieving. Uh, it's kind of weird because it's like, when are we going to see Tua? Like, not anytime soon if Ryan Fitzpatrick is, continues to have these games. And Fitzpatrick's also going to have bad games. He's He's not, you know always just a, a hot quarterback. He gets cold too. Uh, but speaking of hot and cold quarterback stats, I want to go back to Thursday night and show some love to that game, which I actually thought was a pretty entertaining game for not being the most, you know, kind of like it's not a, a shootout style kind of game, but it was fun. It was back and forth there at the end. It was the Super Bowl rematch. And I believe you and Ed on the look ahead on Thursday's show thought so easily that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are hitting their stride and they're going to be able to beat uh, just little old Nick Foles, but that's the thing. Stats Nick Foles is better than Tom Brady, as we have witnessed. I mean, you can never count out Nick Foles. But in serious though, uh, that is like the vintage Nick Foles game, where like he doesn't even play well. Um, he did make some great throws, but he he does enough to win. That is, and that is why people in Philly will always feel, or some people at least I should say, will always feel like the Eagles should have kept Nick Foles and and shouldn't have kept Carson Wentz because even if he's like not as talented as Carson Wentz or these other quarterbacks, even if uh, you know he's not going to put up the, the great stats, he's going to help you win. He just wins. It's quarterback stats, stats. It's, it's wins. Wait a minute. 
How are you singing Nick Foles' praises right now? When I look in your power rankings and see the Bears are 16, they're behind the Buccaneers, and you literally have written, "Yeah, the Bears are the second worst 4-1 team in DVOA history." Yeah. I'm still not buying them, though. That's the case, though. That's the. Th- but I'm saying, like, that's the thing. Like, Nick Foles hasn't actually been good. That's the problem with the Bears, and right. that's the problem with their outlook. But I'm saying, like, somehow in these games and it's not going to last over the course of the season you know we saw them lose to the Colts a couple of weeks ago but he's going to have these kind of games here and there that will tantalize you and like make you believe like okay th- he can be this guy he can just do it enough just enough for us to win but I don't think that's going to be on the way because as you saw in my power rankings the Bears are like the the worst the second to worst four and one team uh since 1985 in terms of DVOA by football outsiders um, so I still don't believe in that team. I have them 16th in my power rankings, like you said. I think they're, you know, they're not terrible, but they're not like actually legit, you know, NFC elite tier or top tier kind of good. No, they're the Bears. They're not the, the best team in their division. They have the, probably, I don't want to say the worst quarterback in the division because he's not the worst, but they're not anything. The Bears are not going to be anything. They may, may squeak into the playoffs, but I don't even know about that. And I'm not going to waste any more time on Chicago Bears and Nick Foles because I don't think they deserve it, frankly. Um, We skipped over some of the top 10 because you have Seattle at number one. You bumped the Chiefs down two spots after their loss. And, I mean, Seattle needed a last-second comeback against the Minnesota Vikings to get the win. So you've got Seattle one and Green Bay two. How the mighty have fallen for the Chiefs. They lose one game to the Raiders and they're at three. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, they've looked mortal against the AFC West this year, which you know, they usually dominate their division. You know, it, it's they needed overtime to beat the the Chargers, and they had the they got out Chiefs basically by the Raiders on Sunday. Like the Chiefs <laughs> were like, you know, how we're going to beat the Chiefs is we're going to play like the Chiefs, and we're going to air it down right. the field. We're going to go all out on offense. Who cares about defense? We're just going to you know run this thing. And to their credit, they did and and give John Gruden a lot of credit. And the Raiders are interesting team stats because I think you were even saying, again, I'm going to reference your other podcast here that you cheat on me with the look ahead. You were feeling like, okay, maybe I regret saying the Raiders were kind of legit, you know, because I thought maybe there was something there. They beat the Saints. But now, I mean, they beat the Saints. They beat the Chiefs. Like some legit wins here. That offense is legit. I think that's the thing. Like they can win shootouts. They have the potential to win shootouts under John Gruden. The defense still an issue, but if the offense can kind of keep going there, um, definitely. I mean, it's a great win for them. I mean, for Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what a fraud. He finally threw an interception. Uh, You know, (laughs) is that guy even any good? Well, here's the thing. The reason I was down on the Raiders is because they didn't do what they did against the Chiefs. Like, they didn't play like the Raiders this week. They played, like you said, like Kansas City. If you're telling me Derek Carr is going to consistently chuck the ball down the field, and by the way, Henry Ruggs is incredible. He's like friggin' lightning out there. Uh, if they're going to keep doing that, then uh, my outlook on them is a lot better than it was originally. But if Carr is going to dink and dunk, and that defense, like you said, is not anything special, then they're not going to have success. So I don't know what they put in the water before that game, but whatever it is, keep giving it to Derek Carr because that guy and that offense can score with anybody. I mean, turning it back to the Seahawks because you, you brought them up there. Uh, like you talked about style points earlier, like not mattering. I think the Seahawks are the ultimate case of that. 
they're like the ultimate team for that. They're they're never out of a game with Russell Wilson. Like that's just the reality. Even if things might get bad or weird or ugly, and they usually do with the Seahawks, which again I think is why a good reason why the Seahawks can be the the oddcast or the the oddcast is the Seahawks of the Espionation NFL feed rather. Uh, I mean, he's he's still the NFL MVP. You know, even though it's not perfect, it's not pretty. Like you just know he's going to come back and win the game, or at least give you a chance. And that is exactly why Mike Zimmer went for it at the end of the game because he knew, and it was the right decision because he knew a thousand percent the right decision. You had to do it because it's like I need to get this first down, and then Russell Wilson has no chance to beat me at that point. Because uh, even if you you know you get the the, the three, I mean Russell Wilson's going to come down, score a touchdown. And then he'll probably run it in himself for the two-point conversion, and then it's a tie game. And then you're going to overtime all of a sudden, and then he's going to beat you in overtime. So, yeah, don't let the ball get into Russell Wilson's hands. That is the moral of the story. He's the NFL MVP. Seahawks, maybe they're not, like, the best team in the NFL, you know, again, just based on style points. But in terms of just having the best quarterback, the best player, I mean, it's hard for me to not put them there at the top. Uh, did you? I don't know if you saw my Twitter feed. I actually tweeted out on a picture, a couple pictures of that fourth down play. And it is blocked perfectly. Alexander Madison has a hole there that you could drive a, an 18 wheeler through. But for some reason, he decides instead of running into the giant empty space to pick up one yard, he's going to try and wedge himself between the fullback and the offensive linemen who are each blocking somebody to try and get the yard. I have no idea why he did that, but that's why the Vikings got stuffed. He didn't have the vision to see the huge open space to get that one yard. And if he did, Russell Wilson never gets the ball back and it's a totally different game. But I agree with you. The second he didn't get that first down, I knew the game was over. It was over. I don't know why, but nobody stops Russell Wilson in the two-minute drill. Nobody. Like, first of all, nobody stops him before he gets to the red zone. And honestly, the only time I can think of him not getting it done has been against the 49ers. The first was in the first game last year where he threw the interception to Dre Greenlaw. And then the second was the second Seahawks game where they got stopped on the one inch line. But other than that, the dude does it every single time. And as a Niner fan, I got to tell you, it is maddening. And I do not regret telling Russell Wilson to his face two years ago that I hate his guts because, Russ, I hate your guts. You're so freaking good. And you're going to play in my division until you're like 50 years old and we're never going to be rid of you. And you're just going to make my life miserable. But damn, is he good. Yeah, he's the, I think he's probably like just the um, such a pesky player. Um, I forget my NBA comparison. Oh, you know, do you watch any NBA stats? Can I make it? Some. Okay. You, you know, Trey Young from the Atlanta Hawks, he kind of just reminds me. Now, obviously not quite on Russell Wilson's tier. He's not like the MVP kind of caliber in the NBA, but just watching that their styles of play. It's just like, they're so pesky. Like they're just running around. They're just small little guys. They shouldn't be as good as like, as they are. Cause you're looking at them. It's like, this guy shouldn't be good. He's just a little guy. He's just running around, but you can't stop him. And yeah, you said, you know, obviously it's even worse for you being in your division, just being in the same conference and have to, you know, seeing the Eagles play him. I mean, they've never beaten him. He's, He's caught a touchdown pass against them. He's thrown a ton. <laughs> he's run a ton. Like they can't do anything to defend him. Even when their defense was great, even when you know they went to the Super Bowl in 2017, Seattle was one of their losses. Like that team is just—it's Russell Wilson specifically more so. It's just he's so frustrating to play against, and that's how you know he's truly great. It's like you don't want to face him 
you just you don't because like it's it's not going to go well for you even if somehow you do win you're probably not even going to feel great about it because it's just like aggravating to get to the point where you know uh he's just he's running around he's making life so difficult and i think um it's crazy if you look up like the the, the number of games that the seahawks have been like one possession games for them and how like they're they're basically always been in it for the most part like the seahawks under russell wilson just do not get blown out maybe like once in there is an anomaly, but that is in no way kind of like a regular thing. And uh, must be great. Must be very nice to be a Seahawks fan, even though it can be frustrating sometimes just to have that quarterback there. Like, I think everyone would kill for that. If your team had to make a defensive stop and the opponent gets the ball at the 20-yard line, two minutes to go, is there any quarterback you want to face less than Russell Wilson? It's him. It's him because, you know, it's the mobility, it's the arm, it's everything. Yeah, even more than Mahomes. Like, Mahomes, I feel like might throw an interception or you never like you. I just feel like you have a better chance to stop Mahomes. Russ does not get stopped. It's I hate that guy. (laughs) I think I'm at the point where if Russell Wilson wins MVP and then he wins the Super Bowl, I might just buy a Russell Wilson jersey because it's like. You win, Russ. Like I've always liked him, but it's like, why am I fighting this? I should just like obviously root for the Eagles, but. Like, maybe I just need to appreciate him. Like, maybe I just need to be like, you know what, Russell Wilson, I'm just also a big fan of you. Uh, not so much about the Seahawks as a team as much as just Russell Wilson. Uh, but this is probably enough Russell Wilson talk. We should probably move on stats. What else do we have here? I just uh, want to throw in two more things quick. It's his 30th game-winning drive since coming into the NFL in 2012. That's the most by any quarterback. And the Seahawks are the only team in the Super Bowl era to start 5-0 and despite being outgained by an average of 50-plus yards a game. They are on pace to give up the most yards of any team in a single season <laughs> in NFL history. And as you correctly said weeks ago, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, also want to bring up the Dallas Cowboys stats. Um, that's obviously the big news in the NFL this week. Dak Prescott, uh, just terrible, gruesome injury, uh, really hard to watch as a player is getting carted off and he's crying and all his teammates are coming up to him and you just know his season is over. And, uh, that was just not good at all. I mean, talk about a fear victory. I mean, you move in first place in the division, but you lose your starting quarterback for the season. Uh, on the bright side for Dallas, though, they do have the NFL's easiest remaining schedule. And obviously, they play in this terrible division. So they could still win that with Andy Dalton. And I think that's how I have it going right now. I still have the Cowboys at number 21 above the Philadelphia Eagles, 22. Although I did think the Eagles did some nice things this week. And it kind of felt like a moral victory just because Carson Wentz played better. And Travis Fulgham is apparently the best wide receiver in the NFL now <laughs> coming out of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's my take on the top two teams in the NFC East. I think that, I mean, the Dak injury, his bone is sticking out of his skin and his ankle is pointing in the wrong direction. It's just a hideous, hideous injury. When you're, uh, when one of the opposing coordinators runs out onto the field, when you get hurt, that's when you know it's bad. Like Jason Garrett flew out there to go check on Dak. And as soon as I saw him on the field, I was like, okay, this is really bad. Cause that just doesn't happen. Uh, Jason Garrett as much as I rip him as a coach, and I think he's a terrible coach, he seems like a very good person, and clearly you could tell he was concerned. But just from a football standpoint, I think that the Cowboys are going to be okay. I don't think the drop-off is going to be huge because as great as the numbers that Dak put up were, I don't think that's how the Cowboys have to win. 
To me, they have to win with running the ball and controlling the game because their defense is terrible. So you need to keep them off the field as much as possible. And with Dalton in there, I think the Cowboys are going to lean on Zeke. I think he's going to, he's great. He's going to produce for them. And they have the weapons for Dalton to be able to play well enough to move the chains on third down and keep things rolling. I think Dallas is going to have to change their identity a little bit, but I don't necessarily think that, oh, you just write them off. They're done the rest of the year. I agree with you right now. I still have the Cowboys as the favorites in the NFC East. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see if they do go to that style. If they do kind of, you know, pound the ball a little bit more and they get back to what they used to do when Dak was younger in his career and, you know, count on the the running game to kind of hide their defense. Uh, I, I, so I think it's going to be interesting to see if they actually do that or if they can continue to kind of just air it out like they have. Um, yeah, I think Dalton is obviously one of the better quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. He has the experience. He's, he's going to give that team a chance to win games, especially when they're playing really bad teams like Washington and the Giants. Uh, again, I, I believe they still have Washington twice. So, yeah, they're going to they're going to find up more wins here. Um, I, I, I am very interested to see how that goes. Also, just because like, what if Dalton comes in and lights it up? Like, what if he's really good? Now, I mean, I don't think they're going to move on from Dak, but that's kind of like an interesting wrinkle all of a sudden. Like, if he comes in and let's say, like, they win a playoff game uh, or, or two even. Um, again, not expecting that to happen. I think the defense is still bad. Even if they're able to hide it more, it's still going to, you know, it's, there's still problems there. It's not like it's going to be a lockdown unit all of a sudden. So I kind of think it's interesting. And then just obviously, like, what are the Cowboys going to do with Dak? Like, how are they going to handle this after the year? And now they have time to figure that out. I'm guessing they're just going to tag him again. Um, I wonder if Dak's side kind of uh, figures out like, okay, we don't want to risk this anymore because like, that's what they've basically been doing to this point. You know, like they're and to their credit, I think they've played it smart and they've they've been patient and they should be. But you know, with him having this major injury, maybe they're like, all right, you know, we're not going to totally just bank on him being healthy and and we're just going to sign that deal now just to make sure uh, we have it and we have that security in case things get worse. Because that's 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 what could happen. You know, what if Dak kind of never gets back to the same kind of player he was after this injury? And I'm not saying that's the most likely scenario. I'm just saying like, what if that's that's an outcome to consider? So I think that's also interesting to think about the long-term ramifications of this injury. If you wanted to be stone cold heartless, what you do is you offer uh, Dak a deal right now. You put a deal on the table in front of him right now with like, you know, whatever the number is, 80 million guarantee, whatever you put it right now when he, he just had surgery. It's a lot different. When you, you know, talk about these numbers, then when you have a literal piece of paper in front of you where, you know, if you sign it, you have at least the guaranteed portion of the deal in the bag. Like that's it. That's yours right now. You have it while there's, you know, stitches and screws and God knows what in your ankle. If you wanted to be totally cold and heartless, if you're the Cowboys, you throw the offer in front of him right now, because like you said, your whole decision making process changes after a major injury like this. And I I don't know if Dallas is going to do it. Part of me thinks maybe they will. And I don't know what I would do if I were Dak. They can't though, Stats, because he's on the tag. You know, they can't, the deadline has passed. They can't, they can't put a deal in front of him this season. Um, but I think if you're talking with that mindset after the year, you know, once the, the, the franchise tag expires, uh, I think Dak still has every reason to, to not rush into it just because his market is still going to be high. 
I mean, even if coming off an injury, you know, you have teams out here, they're going to be looking for quarterbacks. Um, it could be the 49ers. <laughs> it could be uh, the Colts need a quarterback. You know, Phil Rivers is looking cooked. They need a long-term answer. Uh, you, you think the Jets, I mean, let's say, you know, they don't get the number one pick somehow. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of teams out there who could use a quarterback and would love to have, like, the Panthers, even though, you know, they're having some success here with Teddy Bridgewater. If you can get Dak, are they making the upgrade? Probably, if they can. So, uh, I still think he has the leverage in that sense of there's going to be a demand for him, and that's what matters. But uh, it will be more interesting to see because I think before it was going on a really bad path for the Cowboys. Like I think it was heading to where almost like Kirk Cousins territory where he's going to play on the tag twice, and all of a sudden uh, I think the Cowboys at that point would have to cave and they, they wouldn't be able to tag him a third time. And I think they would they would cave at that point, but now it might not get to that. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes. See, you're talking like Dak's agent. That's exactly what you were doing right there, because that's what you tell him. Like, look, all these teams are going to need a guy, and they're not going to care that you're coming off this major injury. I mean, Dak is mobile, and he does run, and I think he's very effective when he does that. But that's not what his game is centered around. So even if he doesn't necessarily come back 100% from that ankle, like, he's still going to be able to throw from the pocket. So, you know, you're not totally scared off by the ankle injury, even though it is serious. So, yeah, that's the line that you're hearing from Dak's agent for sure. But you know, look, rehab sucks. It's, it's, those are lonely days. Those are long, lonely days. And it's hard to be convinced to stick to your guns when you're going through that. I want to talk about how the DAC injury impacts the Eagles stats, because it's kind of an interesting situation here where like, you know, the Eagles, they lose to the Steelers. Again, I thought they did some good things. They dropped to one, three and one though. They have a game against the Ravens this week and that could easily be one, four and one. And yet, because of the NFC East being so bad, it's like they're still in it. But it's a dangerous spot to be in for them, though, because like, are they really going to you know, win this division and then feel good about themselves? I mean, yeah, if they go like on a run here and maybe they finish with like nine or ten wins, that's that's and Carson Wentz is looking great again. That's that's something that, I, yes, you can feel good, really good about that. But I mean, if they're like backdooring into the playoffs at like six, nine and one seven eight and one which is entirely possible like how are you feeling good about that and also knowing that like part of the reason you were able to win the division was because one of your biggest your biggest rival your biggest threat to win the division got hurt their their quarterback got hurt I mean that's just a false positive to me and that's that's something I've been talking about not only here on the podcast but also on Bleeding Green Nation throughout the season is I think this season has the potential to be a really uh concerning season because the Eagles weren't honest about themselves heading into the year. I thought they thought, I think them starting this poorly was like not on their radar at all. I mean, they have the second most expensive roster in the NFL. They're paying to be pretty good uh, for as much as they can say, like this year might've been a step back. I mean, that just doesn't line up to me. I mean, you have a quarterback in this prime. You pay a lot of money to these players. You have a weak division. Like you should be competing, but I think they're at a point now where they need to be sellers before the trade deadline, which is coming up here soon less than a month now and they need to sell some of this aging talent that's not going to be around for when they're going to make their next 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 push ever going to happen uh, what they're never going to sell when the when the division is on the table for them and they're clearly in play for it they're never going to sell peterson's not going to sell and howie's not going to sell because they're not going to want to lose those games and just signal to everybody that they're just giving up if they get in the playoffs even if they don't win a playoff game they could say hey we've made the playoffs you know 
X out of the last five years or whatever it is. Nobody's going to remember in three years that one of those years the division was was awful. They're just going to remember that they got in. Well, I see. I agree with you that they they probably won't, but they should. You know, my argument is they should because I, I don't think they're they're being honest with themselves about where they stand. Uh, they need a reset here, and I just wonder what's going to happen. Like if they finish six nine and one, they win the division. What meaningful change is really going to happen after the year? Like, are they going to change anything on the coaching staff? Are they are they really going to fire Howie Roseman? Probably not. So I just kind of worry here what this Dak Prescott injury, kind of how that impacts the Eagles and their outlook, not just this year, because maybe it helps them in the short term. Maybe, you know, it makes it easier for them to win the division. It should on paper, in theory. Um, But that's no given. Now, if they don't win the division, that's pretty embarrassing. Like, your top rival lost their starting starting quarterback, uh, terrible division, and you still couldn't win the East? Like, that's, at that point, uh, something's, you know, something has to, to change. Like that's that's a really bad look. That's a very fair point. I uh, it's it's a weird conundrum where it's like, if you win the division, you're in the playoffs, you got your shot. But if you lose the division, then you like you look so bad because, like you said, everything was sort of on the table for you. I need to thank the Eagles, BLG, because I took them in our survivor, or I took the Steelers over the Eagles in our survivor pick. Thank you very much. Yet another win for me. Congratulations to you as well, because you had the Panthers over the Falcons. You got the win there. We are both three and two on the season. I feel like we have rocketed back from a slow start. We are fully rolling now. It's week six. We're in the groove. We're both three and two. Once you, If you get to four and two, you start to look really, really good. So I'm going to let you go first. Who is your survivor pick this week? Well, Ed Valentine might like this pick because I'm picking the Giants stats. They are playing the Washington football team, who wow. Washington football team has just looked abysmal since beating the Eagles in week one. I mean, you had Alex Smith taking snaps out there last week, which was great to see and also terrifying. Uh, please, please do not play him, I think, because I, I you just – it doesn't look ready to be out there uh, or at least ready to be effective and certainly not getting a, a lot of help in, in his situation. So uh, it's going to be more Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen is not good. Washington obviously needs to find their long-term quarterback. I've never been in on Dwayne Haskins and Washington clearly out on him. Now there's talk that they might even trade him before the deadline. I mean, good luck. I don't even know what you're getting from him at this point. It's clear. He's not yeah. good. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to take the giants. They almost had their first win this week. They, they, they were so close. They, they played like almost well enough to win this game. Instead, they're 0-5. No team that's ever started out 0-5 has ever made the playoffs. But I think there's some positive regression coming here, stats. I mean, Daniel Jones hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since week one. Like that that can't continue to keep going on. He's going to throw a touchdown pass here again soon. So I think the Giants are hungrier for that win just because they've, they've come so close. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, they only lost by, what, like one possession to the Rams? Um, I think the Giants finally get that their first win here. So I'm going to take them. It's a, uh, it's you know, one of those picks in the Survivor League where I'm risking it because I'm, I'm you know, picking a bad team here, but it could be a good opportunity to kind of use that pick when I can. What about you? Yes, it's a huge risk for you because we know that if you get one wrong, then you can't pick any more games, right? That's the Survivor <laughs> pick rules. I'm not even going to dignify that with the response. Uh-huh. No, actually, I like that pick. Plus, I think, honestly, some of the keys in these survivor pools are just finding teams to pick on. And Washington's going to be one of those teams you pick on if you're ever unsure of like, ah, where should I go this week? Well, who does Washington play? Oh, OK. Yeah, that game looks pretty good. I'm going Dolphins over Jets. The Dolphins are a smart team. 
they don't have the best talent, but they're smart. They saw the practice squad guy out there for the Niners and they drilled them until they took them out. They they just do the smart things. And the Jets are not a smart team. They're still employing Adam Gase, first of all. They hired Adam Gase, second of all. Like, they don't do smart things. Dysfunctional organizations do dysfunctional things. And the Jets are dysfunctional at every single level right now. And the Dolphins clearly are not. And I will take function over dysfunction every day of the week. Give me the Dolphins over the Jets. And I will be 4-2 and two next week. And I will be better than you. And I will be off and running. Oh, so you think Washington's going to win? I just want all your picks to go wrong every week. <laughs> like after the Niners game, I, that's the first thing I double check is like, who did BLG take in the survivor pool? That's fair. Do you agree with me? Um, I think it's a safe pick. I think not, not like a gutless pick. Cause you know, it could, it could get ugly. You know, Fitzpatrick, as I said earlier, he gets cold sometimes. This could be a zero sure. touchdown, three interception game where, you know, the jets win by like one point. Because Fitzpatrick totally just, you know, it, it went in the tank for him. Um, or maybe even he gets banged up. Tua has to come in, something like that. And Tua struggles, uh, you know, with his first NFL playing time. Uh, but I don't think so. I think that you you picked the more likely outcome. And that is the Dolphins finding a way to win against this awful Jets team that really has no reason to win. And in defense of the Jets not firing Adam Gase stats, uh, obviously, I mean, he should be gone in theory. But at the same time, like, they need that number one pick. Like keep losing. Like that's that's what they need to do. That more than anything, they don't need to bring in you know this interim head coach and win a couple of meaningless games and feel good about themselves in the short term. They need to get this number one pick. They they, they need the quarterback and uh, they got to get it right. But here's the thing: in the past fifty years of Jets football, what has led you to believe that they are going to be able to, even if they get the number one pick, do any of this right? hire a better head coach, pick the right guy in the draft, develop him. What do you point to in the last half century of Jets football that says to you, hey, they need to get this number one pick and then they'll be all set. They'll, they can develop him and they'll be on their way. Because guess what? They can't do it. They can't do it. The Jets as an organization largely are trash in their entire history. They're basically trash. They're the Seattle Mariners of football pretty much with a tiny bit more success because they do have one championship i would say that i don't disagree but it's kind of just like luck like you're just rooting for luck if you're a Jets fan it's like we're just we're gonna hope you know if you get the number one pick like you can just okay maybe we'll get it right maybe we'll luck into it maybe they'll get a head coach who isn't at least as terrible as adam gase um i think if you're a jets fan you're kind of talking yourself into Joe Douglas, you know, getting a chance to make his imprint on this team. Cause he really hasn't yet. You know, he was only hired as a GM last year. Um, he was hired after the 2019 NFL draft too. So he's only had one draft class to work with one really off season to work with. And I like what they did with, this, with the Jamal Adams trade. Like they, they got good value in for him in return. And now, you know, it's Douglas's chance to kind of make the, this team the way he wants to, and, and, you know, find a head coach and ideally get that number one pick. So I guess that's the hope you have. Obviously, again, you look at the history of the franchise it's probably not going to work out well, but if, you know, if you have to cling on to something and you have to, if you're a fan, you have to, you can't just, you know, you, you have to find something that you can believe in, or at least sometimes you, you want to. So I think that's the angle there is like, they can get the number one pick, Joe Douglas, maybe he can figure it out. Uh, and that's, that they'll go from there. 
One last thing to do before we go. We always like to give you the oddities every week, just weird things that we notice as we're watching the games. And I actually didn't have any this week. And shame on me because I forgot the most obvious one that you pointed out, Brandon. Tom Brady literally forgets what down it is against the Bears. He thinks they have one more chance. And here's the thing. The the marketable, the go-to, the selling point of Tom Brady is his mental acumen. The fact that he's seen every defense, he's so experienced, he's a, he always knows the situation, he knows everything that's going on. Like that's the number one selling point with Tom Brady. And then he forgets what down it is. Like, you know how you go to those restaurants and every once in a while you'll get one of those waiters that doesn't write anything down. Uh. He wants to blow you away. If you're that guy, you can't come back to the table and be like, what did you have to drink again? Like, no, just write it down. We're not impressed. It's much more important to me that you get the damn order right. And Brady didn't get the order right because he thought they had one more down. I hate when that happens, by the way. I, I hate I hate that. Like now, you know, if it's like one or two people, you know, and it's like a simple like you're going it's like a pizza place, you know, like, hey, we just want a pizza. You know, okay, no, that's fine, whatever. If there's three people involved or more, I mean, no. It should be automatic, you have to write something down. Like, what are we doing? Like, what is the upside to that? <laughs> like, what is the best thing that could possibly happen? I don't think that person's going to get tipped more just because you remembered it. Like, who cares? Like, just just get the order right. You're going to lose your tip, potentially, because you're going to screw up the order. So anyway, uh, but also Tom Brady, big loser, because uh, it felt like, you know, he holds up the four there. And it's like, oh, oh, I didn't know. Tom, you knew. You're just trying to get out of it. You're like, oh, actually, you know, he was, he was just trying to to make it look, uh, you know, less embarrassing than it was, which backfired because it's actually more embarrassing. And then after the game... Now, uh, heard from this from someone who watched the post-game interactions of Tom Brady every after every game this season. He has gone up to the other quarterback and sh- you know shook their hand or fist whatever. You know he's gone up to the other quarterback. He's congratulated them, win or lose. Against Nick Foles, though, he did not, and he also didn't do that when the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So clearly, Nick Foles is in his head. He knows he owns them, and he's a sore loser about it. So really bad week for Tom Brady. And just bad week for the Bucks. I mean, this was this was a bad game to lose. You know, this could be important in terms of the uh, the NFC wild card. You know, the seating there and the standings. That tiebreaker could be you know could become could become a factor. And it just looked like kind of the Bucks were turning a corner. My argument against that was like, look at the quarterbacks they've beaten to that point. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, um, uh, the guy in Denver, I can't even remember his name now. Who got benched for Bet Rippin? Um, uh, and then who all, who else did they also, and John, a rookie, Justin Herbert, like not exactly the murderer's row of quarterbacks there. So totally wasn't in on the bucks. And now they lose this game and Tom Brady is a big loser. So congrats to him. Yeah. I think Brady is looks at Foles and he's like, I'm so much better than this guy. And no matter what I do, I can't friggin' beat him. And I think it pisses him off and that's fine with me. I have a much bigger issue with Tom Brady, not admitting after the game that he didn't know what down it was like, dude, we see you out there. There's cameras on the field. You're holding up four fingers. What else could you possibly have been saying on the field in that situation other than, isn't it fourth down? Like, we're not stupid. Don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. I hate that. It drives me He was like the only player too, right? No one else thought that. Like, everyone else went (laughs) off. Like, as soon as that play was incomplete, it was like, all right, game over. Like, he was the only person in the the entire building who thought it was still fourth down. I'm always amazed at how that can happen. There's a, literally a dude on the sideline with a huge number telling you what down it is. There are scoreboards throughout the entire stadium. Like everywhere you look, 
No matter where you sit in that stadium, you could look up at a scoreboard and see what down it is. Plus, you're on the field. Plus, you have a guy in your ear, coaches on the sideline who obviously know what down it is. Like, are you telling me that there's nobody in Brady's ear before that play going, all right, Tom, fourth down, need it here. You know, X jet Y, spider Y, banana, whatever the hell the play call was. Like, nobody mentioned to him that it was fourth down. He couldn't see it from anywhere. And, and Troy Aikman trying to say, oh, well, when you spike the ball, sometimes you forget what down it is. Yeah, okay, Troy, maybe that's true. Except the Bucks didn't spike the ball. So that never happened. So stop trying to throw Tom Brady a lifeline here. Just admit it. He screwed it up. Did you see uh, Chase Claypool's tweet where he like photoshopped his head over Tom Brady's body holding up the four because Chase Claypool had four touchdowns against the Steelers? That I'd, I'd count that as an oddity and a, and a good one, a good little uh, good use of social media there. And then two, you mentioned a bad broadcasting. I mean, was it Tony Romo? during the Cowboys game where Dak suffers that injury and you see that gruesome injury and Tony Romo's like, uh, you know, maybe it's just a cramp. Like, no, Tony, <laughs> it's not just a cramp. Like, he's, he's like, this is, season is over. No one in the universe is thinking, oh, this is a minor injury. He'll be fine. His leg is like, or his ankle is almost like ripped off his body. And you're like, oh, it could just be a cramp. No, stop. Yeah, I have a slight cramp because my foot is pointing in the direction it's not supposed to be pointing in. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You'll get this show. You'll get the other amazing show that I host, Look The Look Ahead with Ed Valentine. And you'll get a bunch of other shows that are slightly worse than those. But uh, they're all still good. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, good luck with your pick this week, BLG. I hope it fails. Stats, thanks as always. Obviously, tweet at both of us on Twitter. If you listen to the show, you enjoy it, you want to interact with us, you can hashtag podcast. You can tweet at me, at Brandon Gowden. You can tweet at Stats, at Stats on Fire. So go do it. 